0: From the World Junior Championship, and it feels close. I'm not going to lie. Although there was a little bit of a gong show that went on, seems like most of the teams are in the great city of Edmonton. Hey, what's up? It's Cody Jansen We'll talk to Port Live, coming to you on 12-Ounce Sports. Happy Monday. We're going to start off the week on a good note. As always, we got the Matt himself, Matt Stajan. Yes, that's right, the Matt staging. Long time, any chiller. He's going to hop on the show here in about, uh, well, 10 minutes or so. We'll get him on, dive in, great flame, great leaf, Awesome guy, awesome stories. Of course, he went over to Europe for a bit. So yes, we are going to dig into that. We got a lot more to get into. Braden Holtby, wow. Vancouver Canucks fans blowing up Twitter once again. What's new? We'll dive into that a little bit. The World Junior Nightmare, and again... I don't mean to be too harsh on the IIHF, but you got to be kidding me. They're going to cheap out yet again, and it causes problems for most of the European teams. That's a joke. Yeah, you'd be kidding yourself if you don't think I'm going to be talking about that. The IIHF, one, they let every team down by how they actually planned this tournament, and two, they almost dropped the ball on getting the players here. They cheaped out on airplanes. They tried to put the players too close. Who planned this? Who's going to take responsibility? And I don't care. You can be like, oh, René Fassel has COVID. Whatever. Someone's got to plan this. Someone's got to do better. If you want to say safety is the top of mind, you have to prove it. Actions speak louder than words. Do something proper for once. Think of the players. Think of the coaches. Think of the media. Do it right. Don't cheap out. Don't cheap out just because, you know, there's not going to be fans. Do it right this year. They make hand over fist year after year on this tournament. And now you're going to try and fit kids three per row. You're going to try make them sit with their hockey bags, the lug- luggage all packed, just to save some money? Give your head a shake, double IHF. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing for the sport of hockey that that even came into consideration. It is. It's pathetic, it's embarrassing, it's the IHF trying to save money. I get it. You can put a couple of teams on the same plane if it's safe to do so. If you can distance them properly, safely. Think about the players here. And it doesn't matter where you stand on COVID, if you're afraid of it, if you think it's a hoax, none of that matters. What matters is that the IHF does the right thing and they let everyone down. All of those players sitting in the airport, thankfully they're over here, thankfully they did it right. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the sport that we even have to talk about it right now. As always, shout out to everyone watching Zingo TV, Channel 761. Use promo code 120Z when signing sign up for Zingo absolutely free. Tons to get to on the show. Follow us on Twitter at WorldHockeyRPT. Connect with us there. We're watching the show. Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, wherever you are. Appreciate you tuning in. Cody and follow me on Twitter at janet 31 Lots to get into. And hey, quick update from Pierre Lebrun here from TSN. Uh, NHL and NHLPA went non-stop all weekend. It continued Monday going back and forth on season protocols, transition rules, critical dates. The hope is to have it wrapped up over the next few days to set up a vote on each side by the end of the week. But as we saw in June, these things can drag out we're creeping along. We're less than a month away from this January 13th start date, which is hoped. You, you get a lot of positive st- you know, thoughts when you think about guys like, oh, Joe Thornton, he's ditching his Swiss League team. He's coming over to Toronto. So you, you really think that they're going to be putting a pen to paper soon. The one thing I keep hearing from everyone I'm talking to, a couple of close sources as well, is that one of the big issues actually and surprising is trades, trades and signings. How is this going to work? Are they going to allow trades? How are quarantine measures going to work with this? You know, American League teams, Farm League teams, I know they're going to do an expanded roster. That's obvious. But if the AHL doesn't set up until February at the earliest, what's going to be the plan? You got a whole division in California. California doesn't seem to have too much interest in playing with fans anytime soon. So we'll see where that goes. As I said, you know what? they have uh, been talks of a press conference coming up on Wednesday. We're going to wait and see. That seems pretty quick now. That's less than 48 hours away. But I did want to dive into a lot of other things, including this piece on the score. Todd McClellan saying the Kings have finished their rebuild. This was Adam freaking out on Twitter, by the way. Not me, but I got my own two cents and I wanted to share it on the show. Todd McClellan saying the Kings are finished with their rebuild. Let's, I'll say that again. I just want you to think about this. Give it a second. The LA Kings are finished with their rebuild, according to Todd McClellan. Finished. They are missing so many pieces. Did they, is Cal Peterson their guy? Did they have anyone remotely close to being on the... like? I mean, you can look at some... they got some decent prospects, don't get me wrong. But to say you're finished or rebuilt... That's whack. That's whack. They think they're contenders right now with this roster they've got? They're not even close to San Jose. Give me a break. Todd McClellan. Delusional land. put him on there. Healthy scratch of the week. Bench him. Do what you got to. That's a dumb take. Uh, also, Vancouver fans. These are the ones we probably should be benching. I mean, Vancouver fans are just notorious for being whack, if I can put it. I mean, they're, they're crazy. They're wild. They hate everything. They, they they just want to riot. They just want to protest. They they don't want to make actual progress. They just want to be pissed off all day, pout, do whiny things like typical Canucks fans. And hey, if you're mad at Brayden Holtby for having a totem on his totem pole in his helmet, which I believe it was, you gotta rethink it here. And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, well now that you know that makes sense, we're gonna swing it this way. We wish that you know the, it would have been an indigenous artist that used it that's the first argument you make. All right. I understand it. Was there any indigenous artist that reached out to him? Said, hey, I want to do this on your helmet. I want to, you know, uh, let's do this the right way. Support an indigenous artist, painter, whatever it is. Did they reach out? Did anyone pitch the idea? If not, don't complain. Don't complain because someone beat you to it. And now you think you can profit off of it. Don't give me that. Don't talk about them profiting off these names. I mean, Cleveland's changing their names. Are the Chicago Blackhawks going to be next? Because if that's the case, then what are we doing here? If everything they've said is, "Hey, this was named off of a sign of respect. This was signed off by chiefs, by tribes," and hey, I'm just a white male. I I, I probably don't have the voice, and I I, I shouldn't be accredited with discussing this. But from everything that's been said with the history and the tradition, if people are furious about it, you know what? If people are truly offended, if there is good reason for that, I get it. Change the name. If it's the Chicago Blackhawks who have proven time and time again that they are going to defend their name, they're going to defend that they made the right choice by naming their team that, by keeping their name that, I think you got to respect that too. There's no point in just being mad because you can. You don't need to be a social justice warrior on every single issue. Take the night off. Give it a break. Canucks fans, yes, you pissed me off this week. That's annoying. You know, just, man, you, they're, they're just ruthless. You see everyone, and even even people with names, you know, good, well, y- y- people with legitimate media jobs taking shots at Braden Holpe's wife. Are you kidding me? Are you that stupid? That's embarrassing. And I don't care. I mean, I I don't want to call out media outlets here. But if your writers, your broadcasters, are taking it that far to the point of calling out Holpe's wife, and that makes fans and other people jump on top of her, continue on this nonsense, you're a scumbag. You're part of the problem. That's where I'll stand with that. On to something brighter, though. Hey, we are... Quick math, quick math, quick math. 11, 11 days away from world juniors. Uh, 11 days away from Russia, probably kicking the Americans teeth in on Christmas day. That'll be fun to watch. Shout out Jack. I think you're delusional. If you think that they got a chance in this one. Don't see that happening, but it's Christmas day hockey. I'm not going to complain. That's awesome. Hey, I know that they got a quarantine and do retest right now. Honestly, I mean, positive thoughts, positive thoughts. Let's just hope that, you know, all these tests come back negative. Yeah, negative, negative, positive. I'm like Michael Scott with that. I, I kind of forget. I'm like, is negative good? Is positive good? Negative's good. Negative's good. That's a, what a funny show. I can't believe it's coming off Netflix in January in Canada. That's heartbreaking. What are we going to do now? Parks and Rec? I guess that's not even on Netflix either. It's like Amazon Prime, I believe. Great show, by the way. Great show. All righty. Yeah, we do got hockey coming up. <sighs> big yes, as I said. and coming on this show. What's your favorite Matt Stajan moment? He played 1,000 games. A couple of big OT goals. He scored for the Leafs. We tweeted that one out. Scored for the Flames. I think that was that a series clincher against Vancouver. We might as well just keep dancing on Canucks fans right here. What a guy. What? I mean... There's so much to talk about. It's Matt Stajan. He's coming up next. It's World Hockey Report. Cody Jansen with you. Of course, be sure to support mybookie.ag. Use promo code OZ sports. Help them out. They're great guys as well. They're great. They've, they've helped us out. They support us all season. Hey, that's what makes this thing tick, is sponsors like Coco Vodka, Verbal Hockey, 2D Wrap, Tub Masks, WNP. 12-ounce sports. All those guys make it tick. We're still in off-season mode, but we got a legend. We got a heavy hitter coming up. We got an absolute beauty over 1,000 games in the league. It's Matt Stagin right here after the commercial break on World Hockey Report. Please be joined now. 15 seasons in the National League, over 1,000 games, over 400 points, and he's a Belleville legend. Matt Stagin, buddy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Appreciate you taking the time. You're obviously still in a weird situation. You kind of thought you're like, oh, maybe this will blow over in summer. Yeah, it really hasn't. So no, I appreciate you know you finding some time in. Uh, well, we're still kind of quarantined. However, you want to go about it. Let's dive into your hockey career though, Matt. Uh, were you always just nasty at hockey growing up? Like when when did you kind of realize like, hey, I'm pretty good at this? Um.
1: Yeah, I always—I wouldn't say I was ever a top top guy growing up. I was, you know, probably when I was young, I was one of the top guys on my team for sure, and, and you know, but never the best player. Um, so I, I kind of was always playing AAA growing up. Um, I did have a little—I was—I was a small kid, um, so once hitting started, um, at, which when when I was young was minor period, um I was really little, so I did have some trouble staying at the AAA level. And, getting cut from teams and dealt with that adversity at a young age, which now that I'm older, I look back, it really helped me mentally be, be stronger. But uh, yeah, I had to work my way. And um, um, even through Bantam and um, Minor Midget, I never uh, I never got drafted to the OHL in my first eligible draft year, and there was 20 rounds to get drafted. Um, so I, had to, I actually got drafted the year after, which was a year later than most guys. Um, after playing a year of midget. Um, and, you know, I, think I was kind of a late bloomer in, in that sense. Um, so, you know, I don't think I was really coming in. I, I kind of came off the radar for, for everybody, even in junior hockey. Um, and after playing a year of, of uh, junior hockey and getting some confidence, um, the next year I kind of took off and kind of filled into my body and, and um, was able to, to never kind of look back and, and kind of go with the confidence I had uh, right into getting drafted in the second round of the NHL.
0: What, when did you really think, though, that the NHL was a reality, though? Like, Was it like when you were drafted? Was it when you, you know, you're putting up over a point per game in major juniors and you're like, hey, you know what, I'm ready for another level?
1: Yeah, so I was kind of fortunate. I'm a late birthday, so I'm born in December, so my draft year gets pushed a year to the NHL. Um, and because I got drafted later to the OHL, I, I missed my... Underage year, so I was I couldn't play my underage year in the OHL, and so I was playing just regular, you know my I wasn't the year after an underage year, so I had a year before my NHL draft still to kind of feel my way because I wouldn't have got drafted if that was my my draft year in the NHL. So um, that next year, I, I I kind of just broke out. I was playing with two of the top guys, top point getters, two overagers and, and junior. Um, Michael Renzi and Nathan Robinson and and they were
0: think one of the most, you know, impressive parts of your career is you only spend one year in the minors and that's the lockout year, right? So that's pretty impressive there. We will get into NHL stuff though. I got to ask though. Oh, three world juniors. I know it sucks. You end up with a silver, right? That Russian team was just there. They, they were just a consistent team, right? They didn't have any crazy standouts by any means. But I mean, you, you know, you got to play with some pretty good players yourself. I mean, Koliak. Well, did, did he lead the tournament that year as a defenseman in points? Yeah, I think he was.
1: Yeah, he's one of my best friends. He he, uh, yeah, he led the team in score. Like, I think he got best defender in the tournament, if I'm not mistaken. But we had a we had a well rounded team. A lot of guys had great careers, but it was uh, definitely such a great experience. Um, you know, just to, to play in that tournament in Canada. Um, you know, against other best players in the world of your age. You know, like, it's just a confidence booster for any player and uh, that's really coming I mean, um, mean, out of nowhere to make that team. I was kind of, you know, I made as a third team forward and, and you know, I, that, that's one thing as a young guy. I really had to deal with a lot of adversity with making teams and uh, proving people wrong uh, at a young age. So that's really helped me uh, as I got older to, to learn to deal with you know, the ups and downs of a career.
0: Oh, I bet it was unreal yeah. playing in Canada, World Juniors, you were in that crest. That's uh, definitely a pretty cool moment for you. I gotta ask though, your first NHL game—is it true really you scored in it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was Walk a me crazy through it. Week.
1: Yeah, it was a crazy week. I I, I played in three leagues in, in the span of five days to, to start my career. So I, I finished my OHL career. Losing uh, in game seven, the first round against St. Mike's. Um, so obviously, you know, the emotions of that, your junior career is coming to an end. Um, and two days later, I signed my first NHL contract and um, was on a flight to St. John's to play with the, the Baby Leafs uh, on the Friday night and played in that game. Um, and then the next night, I was, um, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I woke up the next morning in St. John's with the message on my hotel room. Uh, phone saying you have a flight uh, midday to go to Toronto. You're going to get your first NHL game tonight because the Leafs had clinched the playoff spot and the game didn't mean anything, so a lot of the veterans were uh, taking the night off, which was uh, my, uh, you know, lucky for me, I got my opportunity. So um, before you know it, I was playing in the NHL on hockey night against Ottawa. Um, you know, I was 19 and um, scored, so uh, that was uh quite the week, and um, playing that game definitely set up, you know, giving me the comments to, to go into the next season with the belief that I can make it to NHL at a young age, and, uh, and I was able to do that. Um, and and that, that week definitely um, helped me mentally, um, you know, show myself and believe that, you know, I can do this. So I worked my, my putt off that summer, and, and the, the next training camp I was able to make the Maple Leafs at,
0: at a young age. Who'd you score on? Like, how was it? Was it a greasy goal? Was it off your ass? Or was it something you dangled? It was, it was pretty greasy. In a sense, I
1: lost the face off clean in the neutral zone. And, uh, I pushed through as a centerman. That was the the system we were playing. You don't see that very often anymore. But I pushed through to kind of force the D to go D to D. And, um, Chris Phillips actually stand on his pass, um, to his D partner. Um, so I kind of went right through the D on a partial break. And, um, split a five hole on uh, Martin Prusek was playing that night for Ottawa, so it was uh, half greasy, half I'll say uh, um, opportunistic, mm-hmm. but it was uh, it was a special memory, and um, you know it was in Toronto where I grew up. Uh, I had family, you know, there to celebrate with me after. We couldn't get everybody tickets because it's Toronto, but uh, it was just a special
0: night for, for for myself and one of the most memorable for sure that's unreal yeah you're not paying for tickets on your entry level deal there for the whole family At least. <laughs> hey what what was it what was it like paying, playing for pat quinn he was awesome um
1: you know he uh he was just you know everybody knows pat quinn um from afar and, and you know just the legacy he has but you know getting to know him and you know the way he treated the players uh you know we were we we're one big family he really preached family and um, he made the director like that and um, you know he was a great motivator but also um, he brought me in as a young guy when, when at that time young guys weren't as prevalent in the, in the league um, especially Pat Quinty um, so you know I was probably one of the first you know, younger guys he he took on um, at, the, at that time I know with the Leafs I was the youngest guy in my first year by about four or five years and uh, you know he really uh Put me in situations to, to succeed. And, um, you know, I, I do feel very fortunate that he gave me the opportunity and, and we had. A-
0: The greatest to ever do it. Who took you under their wing? Who was one of the players who you really got to learn from or helped you out when you first made the jump into the NHL?
1: for Taps and he was great uh you know Ty Domi was great to me so I you know I just I feel very fortunate I had all those guys and, and they all they all just kind of took me under their wing and 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 I was the the baby on the team they would call me because I was that much younger than everybody but I learned so much just from watching guys um not just you know talking but I would sit in my stall and just kind of scan the room and and see how guys uh go about their business and um, that's information that I was able to, you know, keep and, and use for the rest of my career, you know, in life and, and in my hockey career.
0: Maddie, shoot me straight here. What, like, you had so many good players on that team. I mean, it doesn't matter, Belfort, Cujo, Sundin, Domi, Tucker. What was the Leafs' issue back then? Why couldn't you guys get over the hump? You know, what, what was it that, you know, from your perspective of why, you know, the Leafs weren't able to, you know, win a cup or go to a cup?
1: Yeah, I wish I knew. Um, yeah, we traded for Brian Leach too, and he came in and played incredible. Um, you know, Ron Francis came in; he was in his forties at that time, so we had such a, a good team. But you know, guys were a lot older. Um, there were a lot of injuries. Owen Nolan had gotten hurt um, right before playoffs. Um, you know, you never want to use injuries as excuses. We had a lot of depth, but honestly, we uh, we we lost to Philly in the second round that year. And um, we just, you know, we lost an overtime in game six, but it was, you know, playoff hockey, it's it's the littlest things can, can make a difference. Unfortunate. It would have been nice to, to be a part of something like that, especially in the city trial.
0: I think that series against Philly was the one where Robert Esh stood on his head, wasn't it? Adrenaline kind of messes with your brain. You forget what's going on. That happens. What was it like for you, like being a hometown kid in Toronto and dealing with the media? Obviously, in the you know those years, like uh, like this or Sportsnet, TSN, those places were really starting to ramp up with some of that TV coverage. Like sports media in Toronto was really the heart of it for Canada. Yeah, at least TV
1: was starting up. But yeah, it was it was uh, you know you're Toronto Maple Leafs. That's what uh, that's what happened, and and I think you know being thrown into that at a young age um, really helps me grow quickly. You have to become a pro as fast as you can in, in the Toronto market. You can't uh, let things get to you. You have to learn to deal with things like that, and that's kind of how I went about my business. And I was able to kind of mature quickly because I was forced to. Otherwise, you're not going to survive in, in the Toronto market.
0: Let's talk about the trade to Calgary. You were having a career year in Toronto, Matt. And, I mean, obviously, you know, they they felt FNUF was the right addition for the team. You go to Calgary. What was your first thoughts when you're like, I have to go to Calgary, Alberta? You know, like, were you familiar with the city at all, or were you kind of like, oh my goodness, I'm going from my childhood dream to, you know, Alberta where it's very cold?
1: Yeah, I obviously know Calgary from um, being, living in Canada and coming out to the road games and. Um, you know, who Jerome McGinley is, and, you know, uh, but I didn't really know much about the city. Um, so it was kind of, um, for sure, bittersweet uh, at the time because I, I was a Toronto guy and grew up there and was a Leaf fan growing up and um, loved being a Leaf. So it was, it was a, a tough transition at to start for sure. Um, and talking to Brian Burke, um, you know, after it all went down years later because he was in Calgary with me, um, it's, that's the way the business goes, and um, you know I think now we live in Calgary because this is home. Our kids were born here. We love it here, and uh, I loved my time in Calgary. It was it was not the best start for myself. It was a tough transition for sure for the first little bit, but uh, you know you, you deal with that adversity and push through, and um, it ended up being um, you know a great second half to my career um, where I enjoyed it. And, a part of uh, of the team in a big way, and uh, not just on the ice, but off the ice, and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate
0: for the two cities I played in. Yeah, you're fortunate enough to only play, you know, two NHL teams, which is crazy, but I got you to, I, I need you to put one ahead of the other though, what was the better rink? Like, is the Saddle Dome when it's rocking, like, say, 2015 playoff run, or was it Toronto in, the, in you know, their their heydays? What, what rink was better to play in? Oh, I need an answer I need an answer
1: (laughs) Uh, okay I I would say from my experience for sure the the sea of Reds, um 2015 just because uh you know you have the red mile and and I was obviously more involved with with the outcome of beating Vancouver um and I think you know Maple Leaf Square now being built up I think when the Leafs win a series here soon hopefully um we're gonna see a a special atmosphere as well so it is hard to my own experience definitely um the saddle dome um was rocking and and loud uh you
0: know as loud as any rink i ever heard um so i'll have to pick uh, the saddle dome i love it so much character in that rink too okay i'm scrolling through twitter the other day and i mean i got like that that shootout goal comes up battle of alberta i believe it was that swedish kid in net for edmonton was it foss fast whatever and you go to your backhand and you shelf it on them. Like, was that, that was a shootout goal, I'm pretty sure. But, I mean, come on, like, you, hey, you, you're not known as some Ovechkin-Crosby goal scorer, but where did that come from? Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, you practice things that
1: practice your career, and, and uh, I, had, I had two penalty shots in my career, so that was one of them. The other one was on on Nikolai Havagoulin when I was with the Leafs. And both penalty shots, I tried the same move. I went to my back and I tried to go shelf. Um, Havagoulin stopped me on it. that so was the ACC, And then on this one, I was able to score uh, in Edmonton. So um, I did have some shootout opportunities. And I scored a few shootout goals. But, uh, penalty shots, that was one of two. And then... Uh, both times I went to the back end. It's like, basically you're all in, and you, you hope the goalie has no clue that you're going to pull that out. Which I don't think they would think I would pull that out if they've watched me play. So uh, yeah, it was uh, great to see that one going, It was a special moment for for me and my family. And. Uh,
0: Hey, that's a pretty slick move. That doesn't look bad on the TSN top ten either. What was it like though, playing in the Battle of Alberta? I mean, growing up in Ontario, I don't—I I mean, I can imagine you probably didn't watch too much Calgary and Edmonton, maybe even more so because in you know the '90s, the Oilers and Flames weren't exactly these wagons or powerhouse teams. But what was it like for you? You know, seeing that true Calgary Edmonton hatred.
1: Yeah, it was great, um, and, and I did get to know it. You know, obviously. The second game of the doubleheader always growing up and even when I was on the Leafs it was, was always a big deal when it was the Battle of Alberta so um, you know you, you live and play with, with the Leaf rivalries with Montreal and Ottawa and then you come to, to Alberta and you, you, you see that rivalry and it, it's special um, there's, there's hatred there um, you know and it comes just from the history of the teams the two cities uh you know have that rivalry naturally um and, and when you get on the ice no matter where the teams are on the standing you feel that hatred just from the emotions of the, of the cities and the fans you know on game day so uh it was so fun playing in those games um you know those are the regular season games that definitely you remember those those rivalry games um so I was, I was very happy and excited to, to be a part of that in Alberta, um, as I was with, with the Leafs and, and Habs and, and the Leafs and the Ottawa Rallers we had as well.
0: Now, I know you weren't one to, to really drop the gloves, but I mean, we're talking about a tough battle of Alberta. Who was who your first NHL fight? I, I know you weren't one to, to you know scrap every game or anything, but who did you tell you with first? Um, I fought Ruslan Fille
1: when I was in Toronto. He, he had hit me late one game previous game and, and then we fought he he uh he took me down pretty easily and <laughs> i'm thankful for that but uh he um you know obviously we you know his story very sad for for all, all the people that were involved with, with that plane crash but um you know that was my first fight um you know i, I ended up with four or five I think, fights through my career um so it, you know I, I think wasn't obviously part of my game uh know, but if it happens, it happens, and you have to show up, so uh, I think, I seem to get a lot of fights in Vancouver, I had, uh, fought LaPierre in Vancouver, and then I fought Brad Richardson in playoffs, in a, in a line brawl there, so you know, you just kind of, you know, it's kind of out of the game now, but when you're in, in, in the game, uh, you know, and you see the fire uh, of players, and, and things like that happen, um, the emotions get high, and I think it's a big part of hockey, uh, and always should be.
0: Wait, were you a part of that Flames Canucks line brawl where Torts went crazy?
1: Uh, I wasn't on the ice for, no. you know, for that. I was in the game. I was, uh, I was right in the, in the hallway when Torts
0: came barging what is, down. What was uh, that like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was
1: crazy. Just Torts coming down, guys are holding back, and then, and then, uh, BX would stick its head out of their, their doctor room, which was kind of attached to our hallway, and you would start chirping on the other end. It was, it was a crazy situation, uh, it was, it was fun it was um, at the time you're kind of in the moment and like what's going on but you're kind of fired up uh, but uh, yeah that was a that was a great memory for sure on just how that all played out um, and then I, and then the other line was Uh, that, that series definitely ramped up, but it turned out to be a great
0: one for us. Okay, I got to play with Ferdaddy a bit and Brandon. What was he like in that series, though? Because he was a wrecking ball at times in those playoffs. He's a fridge out there. If he gets a hold of you, I can't imagine, especially when he's going top speed. That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Matty, so I want to I kind of skip along to the to the end of your career, kind of you know. I, I believe it was 2018, you know, with the Flames. You, you, you probably you, you kind of realizing, hey, after 15 seasons in the NHL, it's going to have to come to an end at one point, and you decided to play one more year, and you end up going overseas, over to Germany. You play with Munich. I mean, awesome place. Let's let's be real, that city is incredible. There's really nothing like it in North America. But I mean, what, was Europe always a plan for you? What was it? Kind of, you were just like, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not best. I don't have another NHL deal for the upcoming year. I don't want to take a PTO. Let's go enjoy Europe for a year. What kind of made that decision for you?
1: Yeah, it's just something me and my wife talked about throughout our our journey through the NHL. We were very fortunate playing just two places, but as uh, as it came to an end and, and you, I wasn't able to lock in another NHL deal. Um, you just talk about things and PTOs were were there and you know, and maybe could have done that, but the percentage, and when you look at it, um, it's really tough for guys to make a team in today's game. Uh, coming off, uh, you know, a PTO, you almost got to hope for an injury, and that's just kind of the reality of it, so we just sat down and said, you know what, um, let's make this decision. It's been an incredible run. I was fortunate enough to, to make my 1,000th game. Um, you know, I wish I won a Stanley Cup. That's the only thing that you know, that I really wish for, um, as anybody would. Um, so we, we sat down and said, let's be realistic here and, and let's, let's do this as a family and, and see what's what's overseas for us, just for the opportunity, the experience we can have as a family. So we, we took everything into consideration. We had a lot of options as to where we wanted to play. And uh, we thought Germany was the best fit, beautiful city like Munich. Um, and, and a big key factor, obviously, we knew a few guys on... on the Munich team, the Red Bull team there, but, uh, you know, there's 10 imports, um, on, on the teams in Germany, which means there's a lot more North American, Canadian guys on the team. So it was an e- easier transition than if you were to go to Sweden or Switzerland, where there's only two or three imports and you're one of only a few guys, um, coming in from Canada. So that was a big part of it. Um, and then just to experience, uh, you know, the style of play there, the stands there, it's a very soccer type atmosphere in the arenas is chanting and um you know when you're on the power play at a home game they're, they're chanting the whole time when you're on the road and you're on the power play they're whistling and booing the whole power play it was, it was really cool to experience that I, I loved every minute of it and um you know it was, it was just the perfect way for us to um you know to close out a, a career that, that i could only have dreamed of uh, as a kid and i was very fortunate to have
0: Okay, you also, when you were over there, you got to play on you know, a Red Bull team, so you play in the Champions Hockey League as well. I've heard so many different stories, but from, from players, how hard is it? Like, how, how much do you respect some of those guys where, like, you know, if you're going over to Sweden, their style of play is so different? Like, how tough is that as a player? Because I've just heard from everyone who's done it, like, it's crazy. Like, it doesn't matter if you're playing against a Czech team, a Swiss team, a Swedish team. It, like, everyone's got a different style, and it's just tough to play.
1: Yeah, it is. It's an adjustment, and you know the German league that it, 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 you're on the Olympic guys. It's still, um, I'd say it's, it, it's different than for sure. You know the NHL and North American style, but um, it's probably the closest to um, the North American style. But it's, everything's always changing, and you know uh, people are following trends even over there. So it's hard to say year by year, but the leagues over there are so close. Like the top teams, like we ended up making to the finals of the CHL. The, the Champions League tournament um, so we beat teams in Switzerland we beat Swedish teams um, you know so we got to see all the different styles um, but the, the hockey over there has come such a long way I, I would say um, you know to put it in comparison um, if if the top teams all in, in each league played in the league with, with the top AHL teams I would say the European teams would be better um, You know, I think they're better leagues than the AHL um, the top end talent is probably better in the NHL because the guys are right next to the NHL, and they're some are going to have great NHL careers. But um, the, the European leagues, you know, the German leagues come a long way, and, and the Swiss leagues, obviously, we hear about. Um, they're very talented, and, and um, you know, probably you know second, third, fourth best leagues in the world uh, for sure.
0: Well, if you look at Germany, I mean, they had that Seider who went top ten, top five. You know, you got Stutz, uh, Del, uh, Reichel, all those kids coming from Germany now that, you know, I mean, I, believe, I truly believe they are getting better in that, playing in Germany because of all the imports that go over there, right? I really think that that uh, kind of ups their level. How bad were the refs, though? I, I mean, I've heard the stories, Maddie. <laughs> Be straight. Like, how how bad were the refs some nights?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the, the the biggest difference, the biggest adjustment to the reffing. Uh, for sure, the NHL has the best refs in the world there, like um, when you go over there you really learn to appreciate it um so the, the ref in there definitely uh needs some work um but you know it's hard to get good refs like who really wants to be a ref uh, at the end of the day um so i'd say that was the biggest drop-off but uh at the end of the day it's uh, it adds excitement right <laughs> if, you, if you take it if you put a positive spin on it you never know what you're going to get
0: that's that's fair, that's fair. Okay, I got two more for you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'll make this next one quick though. Like any chel you know, you're looking at it, you only played for two teams. Was there one team who you do deep down you kind of wish you played for, even just for a season?
1: <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm very happy with it. Like I grew up a Leaf fan, and then, you know, I always loved the Canadian team, so I got to play my whole career in Canada. Um, you know, that's our sport, hockey's, Kansas sport, and I got to always be in a market that that adored the game and loved the game. It was, you know, what we're we're all about. So um, I wouldn't change anything. Obviously, in a perfect world, I wish you know I could go on a Stanley Cup run with one of the teams, um, but uh, we haven't seen a Canadian team do that for a while. So hopefully, that happens soon. Um, so I wouldn't change anything. Um, you know, obviously, it'd be cool to you know play for different cities, but I got to play.
0: Hundred percent. I mean, I've been banking interviews for the past week, and I would say probably three or four out of the seven have all said like either Calgary or Toronto. So that's funny enough that you know you, you got to grind it out on those two teams alone. Okay, you, you also played with so many characters. I mean, you know, from some of those Leafs teams to Flames teams, international hockey. You got to have one funny story that sticks out that you, you're just kind of like, nah, that's playing in the NHL. That's that's the lifestyle. Oh, man, you're putting me on the
1: spot here. Um, so many great stories. Um, let me think here. You know, with the, pl- I, the plane rides that you have with the guys, just the bond that you can create, um, or, or, or just you can't recreate that. Um, you know, but I, I think just the pranks that guys play in each other, it's, it's
0: never-ending. Um, Who was the best prankster? About-
1: Oh, there's a lot of guys. Brian McCrime was was a good one. Um, Darcy Tucker and Brian McCabe were, you know, Brian McCabe would always, you know, obviously, he's hilarious, but anytime you you had stitches in your face or a black guy, he'd come up to you the next day and just push his thumb right on it and be like, how's that (laughs) feeling? There's nothing you could do. You're just like, you're not expecting someone to do that.
0: Who, who pranked you? Who pranked you when you were a rookie? Who got you and what did they do? Um, I,
1: don't, I can't even remember. Um, okay. so there's just so much chirping going on with, with what you're wearing. and Every day you're kind of like, uh, especially the young guy, right? Because you're a target and it's just natural. Um, so, you know, you get it you given to you. But there'd be guys would hide and, you know, hotel rooms, like, I remember being in L.A., and we were at uh, a haunted hotel there, I think the Britmore It's called, Gilmore. and um, I remember guys sneaking into guys' hotel rooms, and uh, hiding like, without them knowing, and they'd come back from dinner, and start shaking things, I think, as I forgot, it. the one year I was in Toronto, I remember there were, guys were planning it for, like, three days, they went and hid in the dresser under the bed and they just scared the crap out of them because it was a haunted hotel, as, uh, as the story goes. So just things like that. It's just like, it's never-ending. Um, but, uh, you know, I could go on and on. If you gave me, gave me some time, and I could have probably put down about 30 stories of, of things that happened. Uh, uh, but I guess I could tell you one, a funny one that people would know about is do you remember when Glenn Goldson threw a stick in the crowd? Yeah. He kind of went off on our team? Oh, yeah. So oh yeah. So two days later we had practice. We we ended up winning the next game. And uh, we had practice so we uh, we dressed up Johnny Boudreaux's buddy who was in town in full of equipment and put him like around the seat where that stick landed and <laughs> taped a big X across that area and he sat there the whole practice just and people just like I don't know if anybody even knew about that, but it was just kind of like we were laughing the whole time because Gully like kind of didn't know us at first
0: Uh, Gully seems like a good guy. I I believe he's a Sasky guy, too. So, uh, you know, there's some good connections there. Matt, buddy, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate the stories, and I appreciate you diving into everything. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. Matt staging right there. Coming on World Hockey Report. (laughs) Great stories. I knew we'd be able to dive into a couple there. Good thing you brought up that Bell 4-1. Maybe messing around with Glenn Gullitson a little bit. Just the good guys in the game. That's what we love. All those good stories, great memories. So really appreciate him sitting down for, well, geez, that's over 30 minutes right there. Always fun. Just being able to to dive into some of those things, staging 1,000 games in the league. Like, come on. And it's only with two teams as well. Like He wasn't jumping around. Two teams, 1,000 games. Huge thanks to him. A couple of clutch playoff goals there, too. We tweeted them out. I mean, that one against Vancouver Against like Ryan Miller was in net, and then he beats Gar Snow when he's playing for the Leafs as a young gun. Funny enough too that you know he was he was so much younger than his Leafs teammates when Pat Quinn had him. I mean four five years younger. That was definitely a, a league of you know late twenties thirty year olds ruling it. Some tough Flyers teams they had to play against as well. It's awesome for him to dive into some of that stuff. Of course. Everyone, please support those who support us. Cocoa Vodka, Cocoa Rum, the absolute best. MyBookie.ag. Use promo code 120 sports. They're great. They're great as well. You know, get the best angles. Maybe we'll uh, dive into it. I don't know if there's, you know, someone... If someone's an expert handicapper for the World Juniors. I want to talk because I think... I'll get Adam's stake on this on Wednesday. But I think Rush is probably going to be your bang for your buck this year. I really... Not that Canada shouldn't be heavy favorites, but I think if there's one team that's going to win, Russia looked good at the car Cup. comp. So I would not sleep on them at all. We'll see. I don't know. I haven't even checked the odds yet. i have to go on my bookie later today. 12-ounce sports and go TV, 2D wraps, tub mass. I know they're doing great things for Joey Moss. Go check them out today. Support them. Barrel Hockey just drop. Well, I don't know if they released it. But I know they got Blake Bolden hooked up with a great custom stick there. Looks sharp. They're doing innovative things. Andy Sutton is crew. Glenn Metropolitan as well. Hey, he was on Spittin' us Good interview there as well. We'll get him on World Hockey Report. We'll talk. Hockey, Verbaro, everything under the sun. One of these times. Wednesday, big show coming up right here. Same time, same place. We got Craig Button to break down some World Juniors in Canada's perspective. Then we got Chris Peters. This guy, arguably, not even arguably, probably the best World Junior NHL prospect writer in the game, especially out of the States. So yeah, Chris Peters, Craig Button, Adam Ehrmantraut coming up on Wednesday. Until then, huge thanks. And I know what, we I said we had a big interview with you know a, a two-time Olympian gold medalist. That's going to be coming. We're going to get that one lined up. Her schedule just didn't work out right now. We're going to get it back. Telling you. we got some more great stuff lined up. World Junior Champions coming your way. The best NHL insiders, insight prospect reports. That's all coming up. Don't sleep on it. It's World Hockey Report. Cody Janssen with you. Follow me on Twitter at janet 31 World Hockey Report's on Twitter at WorldHockeyRPT. Alrighty, let's get out of here. It was a good Monday show. It was a great Monday show, of course. A lot more to come. Be sure to catch Pete Powerplace That one's Tuesday to Thursday. Peace. Got all the angles. The cool show. Minor League Rando coming up again. Not again. I mean, they're just coming up tonight. Guarantee you. Tyler's got a great list of guests. Rando. While we get the coast back, I think that counts. I'm sure he'll be talking about some ECHL action. Until then, everyone, we're going to be back here on Wednesday, 11 o'clock Mountain Time, 10 o'clock Pacific, 1 o'clock Eastern. Cody Jansen, Adam Ehrmantraut. For everyone, the entire crew, peace out. Be kind. Be better.